0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at morbidlybeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for all your horror pop culture needs, from reviews to top ten lists and, well, everything in between. They also have a great library of podcasts that you should go check out after you listen to this episode here. It's growing and growing and growing and it's just getting bigger and better Almost every week, so go check that out too. I've covered nearly everything plausible in the past. Bigfoot, aliens, hauntings, vampires, and so on. But one I've neglected is maybe the most fearsome and recognizable monster from our history and modern world. The werewolf. Sure, I'd covered a very specific werewolf myth in the past, but it didn't do the creature justice as a whole. So now I will cover it. Every myth has its beginnings, and where better to start than with a good old fashioned origin story? This is King Lycaon, potentially the world's first werewolf. Amidus. Amidus. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Now, if you just take a second to think about the name Lycaon, it sounds an awful lot like Lycan and Lycanthrope, which most of you would know means, well, werewolf or man-wolf. But there's more to it, a lot more. Just who was King Lycaon? Well, clearly he was a king, the king of Arcadia from Greek mythology. It's believed he lived in a time before the Great Deluge, and therefore was a contemporary of two other kings, Deucalion of Thessaly and Sacrop of Athens. Again, I apologize for any mispronunciations. It is said that Lycaon was remembered for maybe the best things ever to be remembered by, solving famine and curing disease. Wait, no, that's not it at all, actually. Ah, yes, it was for his pride and his impiety. Close seconds to saving the world, if you ask me. Lycaon's tale is a gruesome one, which we'll touch on, but he was also known to have fathered many sons who went on to settle the villages and towns of Arcadia. Some, for this reason, consider him to be a found hero type. Despite some of the vile crap he did, again, we'll save the juicy bits for later on. Lycaon, like many of the time, had many wives and lovers, which is how he had so many sons. But just how many sons did he have? Well, enough apparently to settle towns and villages. Can you guess how many that might be? Hmm? I'll just give you a second here. Okay, it's 50, maybe even more. The dude was busy, to say the least. At least one of those kids was pretty special, as the name of the land was Palacia, but was later renamed Arcadia after Arcus, who was like Han's grandson who was actually born to one of Lycaon's daughters. I guess that makes sense. How could you have 50 sons and no daughters? The whole thing would have just fallen apart if it didn't have at least one girl in it. But what was that daughter's name? Hmm, it's sort of important, isn't it? Callisto was her name, and she was said to be the hunting partner of the goddess of the hunt, Artemis. For one reason or another, I guess when you hang out with gods, you don't really need a reason, but Callisto pledged, to maintain her virginity to Artemis. But oopsie daisies, that was obviously broken when she gave birth to the eventual namesake of the land, Arcus. There are several versions of the myth, but one of the more popular ones is that once Callisto broke her vow, she was transformed into a bear, hunted, and turned into the constellation Ursa Major. Another version of the myth has a Zeus up to his old dirty tricks. He disguises himself as Artemis to seduce Callisto, and when the pregnancy is revealed, Callisto naturally blames Artemis. Though it should have been pretty fishy when Artemis, a goddess, impregnates a woman. Though I'm not 100% caught up on the relations and how powers of the Greek gods kind of work in that sense. So maybe the goddess had the power to get women pregnant? Anyway there are a few other versions of the story with small tweaks to them but what you need to know is that callisto was always turned into a bear and hunted but what about lycaon himself i mentioned earlier that he committed some vile acts during his time so let's touch on one or two of those now shall we remember vile acts back then in ancient greece are a little different than they are today nevertheless lycaon became the ire of zeus which is never a good thing And unlike Callisto, Lycaean's downfall was his own fault. Again, there are many versions of this story, like many Greek tales, but the most famous comes from the Metamorphosis by Ovid. In this version, Zeus had heard rumors of a quote, infamous report of this unholy age, and decided to visit the world in human form. Nearing nightfall, Zeus reached Arcadia and revealed himself as a god to the people. Of course, the people prayed and worshipped at his feet. After all, Zeus, the granddaddy of all the gods, paid them a visit. You best get on your knees and pray. Though not all felt blessed to be in the presence of a god. Yep, enter Lycaon. Out of some jealousy or something of that nature, thought it was best to mock the populace's pious vows and said that a Quote, fair experiment will prove the truth, if this be God or man. Literally the worst thought one could utter aloud at that time. I mean, I can't think of a worse thing to do, unless you're looking to get punished in some extremely creative way. What was this experiment, you're surely wondering? Well, he planned on killing Zeus in his human form while he slept. Simple enough, isn't it? Well, he also fed Zeus human meat during a meal. You know, presumably because they were out of beef. Hey, (laughs) where's the beef? Huh. Maybe that slogan's a little bit older than we first thought. Anyway, according to Ovid, quote, he cut the throat of a Molossian hostage that was sent to him and partly softened his still quivering limbs in boiling water, partly roasted them on the fire that burned beneath. The dish was served to Zeus, but you know, Zeus, he was, is, a god. Semantics don't matter here. And he knew what Lycan was trying to do. So, what does a furious god of thunder and lightning do? He destroys Lycan's house with thunderbolts. Duh. Well, but old Zeusy boy wasn't done there, of course. After all, there's nothing quite like the scorn of a god. Lycan was, you guessed it, transformed into a wolf these gods and their transforming of people i just don't get it but whatever quote terror struck he took to flight and on the silent plains is howling in his vain attempts to speak he raves and rages in his greedy jaws desiring their accustomed slaughter turn against the sheep still eager for their blood his vesture separates in shaggy hair his arms are changed to legs and as a wolf he has the gray locks the same hard face the same bright eyes the same ferocious look if that doesn't describe a werewolf i don't know what does but there's more near the end of the tale ovid has zeus remark quote thus fell one house but not one house alone deserved to perish over all the earth ferocious deeds prevail and men conspire in evil let them, therefore, feel the weight of this dreadful penalty, so justly earned. For such hath my unchanging will ordained." This was most likely a not-so-subtle warning to not do evil crap. You never know what might just piss off a god, so it's best to just don't. The myth does have a couple alternative versions, however, and this popular one is more about Han's army of children. The story goes here, which is from the bibliotheca of pseudo apollodrous from roughly the 1st or 2nd century AD, that it was Lycaon's kids who were filled with pride and impiety. Same as before, Zeus takes the guise of a man to go check out what's going on in the moral world. The sons, who are filled with hospitality at first, offered the god a slaughtered male child of the natives, whose bowels they mixed with the sacrifices and set before him. This was at the order of Menelaus. Zeus, well, he wasn't pleased. In fact, it's said that he was downright furious, and in good old Zeus fashion, blasted them with thunderbolts. However, there is a silver lining. The youngest son, Nysitymus, was spared as Gaia was quick enough to lay hold of the right hand of Zeus to appease his wrath. Nicodemus eventually succeeded Lycaon as king and it was during his reign that the great deluge occurred which some would argue was Zeus's punishment for the Lycaon's other sons. The last version of the legend is from the Pausinian's description of Greece which was written around the 2nd century AD. The story differs from the two previous, having Lycaon not actually tried to serve a god human flesh. No, instead he sacrificed a baby, because that's better, I guess. A quote from the passage reads: "Lycaon brought a human baby to the altar of Zeus Lycaeus and sacrificed it, pouring out its blood upon the altar. And according to the legend, immediately after the sacrifice, he was changed from a man." a wolf turns out his biggest mistake and the crime he committed was his choice of sacrifice a baby a little teeny tiny baby so was lycan really the first werewolf well maybe writings on the subject don't go back much further than what we've discussed today but it is a bit uncanny that lycanthrope is literally the name for man-wolf if lycan wasn't the first he was one of the first There is a story found in the Epic of Gilgamesh of a man transforming into a wolf, and this is often regarded as the oldest surviving piece of literature on the planet. In the Epic, the mighty hero Gilgamesh refuses the flirts of the goddess Ishtar, as he knew that she had turned one of her previous lovers into a wolf. Eh? A werewolf, right? There is another interesting tidbit of lore here we didn't really touch on, the curse which Zeus placed upon Lycaon and the stipulations associated with it. This is where things go from being turned into a wolf to downright werewolfy. Pausinian stated that, quote, ever since Lycaon, a man has changed into a wolf at the sacrifice to Zeus, but that the change is not for life. If, when he is a wolf, he abstains from human flesh, After nine years, he will become a man again. But if he tastes human flesh, he remains a beast forever. In other words, Lycan isn't necessarily doomed to walk the world of a wolf for all time, so long as he's a good doggo and doesn't eat anybody. That's fair, I suppose. In the end, this is literally just the start of the werewolf mythos. I hope to cover some more werewolf legends and lore, maybe a fact or two next week but I'll have to see what I can dig up in the meantime. Speaking of meantime, the epic battle between werewolves and vampires is a tale as old as time. At least the early 2000s when Underworld came out. So I want to know, what side are you on? Team Jacob or... Wait, no. uh, Team Werewolf or Team Vampire? I'm personally on the fence about this one, so maybe you can convert me one way or the other. Let me know on social media. I'll probably put up a poll for you to vote on and, you know, I'll let you decide the fate of my allegiance with the results next week. But that does it for us today. My name is Casey and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts that allow reviews. Any five-star reviews that I do see will be read out on the show. So that's the best way to get a shout-out if you're looking for one. Also, follow me on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd, as in production, on Facebook at HorrorShots, or on Instagram at OminousOriginsPod. And if you do want to support the show financially and want to rep some merch, you can do so at the Redbubble link in the description. So, until next week.